Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elusian.com. This conference is going to be epic. By now, you've heard me talk about Insights EDU in Phoenix, Arizona, February 20 through 22nd. Here's why I think you should join us at the Insights EDU conference. It's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. If you're concerned at all about where your enrollments are going to come from in 2024 and beyond, and you should be concerned, you need to be at this conference. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50. Prepare to be astonished. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to Ed Up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. I'm your guest host for this episode, Bill Pepicello host of my own podcast, Ed Up Insights, and the author of the book, Leadership on the Field of Play, available on Amazon. And today I'm filling in for Dr. Joe Salusjo. Our very special guest today is Mr. Herman Bulls, who is Vice Chairman and the America's International Director at JLL. Did I get that right, Herman? You did. <laughs> okay, well, welcome. Glad to have you here. I'm happy to be here, Bill. So uh, today's topic is going to focus on boards and governance, and I'll let you know why as I, uh, as I introduce Herman. He has a little bit of experience with boards. Um, he's a retired colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve, served over 30 years. He was professor at West Point and financial analyst in the Army Budget Office in the Pentagon, so he has some education background here. He's in the Alabama Business Hall of Fame. He is a member of the Defense Policy uh, Board. He is the board vice chair of USAA, board chairman of the Board of, of Fluence. He's a board member in the uh, directors of Collegious Education. Other than that, he hasn't done much. Um, but just to give you a, a couple of uh, pieces of insight on his uh, on his career, he has been awarded a variety of uh, of awards. He was a Marriott Scholar of the Business and Brigham uh, Brigham Young University. He was on the uh, Executive Leadership Council Achievement Award um, recipient. He was named the Savoy Magazine Most Influential Black Directors in Corporate America. He is on the USA National Association of Corporate Directors, and I could go on and on, but I want to get to asking him some questions um, because it's, what he's done is fascinating. And what I want to talk about um, is what, what role boards in general play in governance all across the spectrum of what's going on today. Now, you have... Um, a variety of, uh, of experience here in the business world, a little in the education world. Um, 
And what I'm, I'm interested in, in talking to you about is, you know, what makes an effective director? Is it a blend of technical skills and governance ability, or how do you see that? Yeah, well, Bill, first of all, thank you for uh, allowing me to be on the show today. It's quite a privilege, and uh, you went through all those organizations, and I think it's important to note that uh, I've been very fortunate to have both uh, private sector, public company board experience, private sector, private company board experience, as well as uh, not-for-profits, and one that's pretty significant, and I think goes into your question here as well, as I'm also one of the national governors of the American Red Cross, which is a multi-billion dollar organization that, you know, has a, uh, a humanitarian goal, uh, very similar colleges and universities, humanitarian, this sense that we want to advance knowledge. So going back in terms of just thinking about corporate governance and what the role of the board is, there are really two major functions that the board does. Number one is to select the CEO and or the president. And that is not a small task, looking at what are the challenges facing the organizations, what are the skills that are needed now, medium term and long term, and how do you get the right person that can, if change management is required, uh, can make that happen. So that's one major, and the first one I might add, because I've got a theory Mediocre people, well, let me let me tell you the second one first. The second one is strategy, okay? Not to develop the strategy, but to approve the strategy. It's management's responsibility under the leadership of the CEO to understand where the organization needs to go. And board members, good board members, have the ability to do what I call see around corners. And that is that ability to anticipate based upon current conditions, anticipated conditions, what is that can be happening? So you've got your CEO and your president, they're focused and they're in the weeds, so to speak. They're in the forest. The beauty of a board, which I know you served under and on them as well, is that ability to be out of the fray, looking up and looking around that corner and anticipating. And I tell people all the time, people come and say, hey, Herman, I really want to be on a board. I'm a really a great manager. And I can really do all these things. Well, believe it or not, that great management and operational experience is a foundation. However, to be a good board member, it's not about providing answers, believe it or not. And for somebody in education, you're going to find this hard to believe. It's not about answer, uh, uh, answers. It's about asking the right questions. That's what a great board member does. That's that's insightful. And, and yeah, I have served on some some boards. I'm the chairman of the board of trustees at American Intercontinental University at the moment. Um, was the chairman of the uh, Greater uh, Phoenix Economic Council and the Banner Health Foundation here while I was while I was still working. So I have some experience, but not not nearly the the breadth uh, that you do. You know, one of the things that I that I'm interested in is having served on this variety of boards, what commonalities do you see and where do the differences lie? And here in particular, I'm thinking about uh, your service on the board of directors of uh, Collegius Education. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, first of all, Collegius um, is a education technology company and uh, it is actually the uh, uh, third spinoff of uh, Rasmussen College, where I started, which was a for-profit, just like your organization, mm -hmm. 
Bassett Education Company, Rasmussen, and uh, the, the gentlemen and uh, ladies that I was working on that with, very entrepreneurial in nature, in terms of saying there is a problem, and now let's find a solution by getting the combination of technology and smart people together and figuring out how to do it. So with, with Rasmussen to start with, I mean, the thing we had to do there is uh, decide where there were market opportunities. And I might add, uh, and you're very familiar with this, that a lot of the for-profit education companies, some of them had challenges because they focused on one thing, right? Maximizing profit, okay? For long term, we actually were a public benefit corporation. And I think your listeners just to know what that is, it's kind of a self-imposed, you don't get any economic benefit from it, other than saying part of your goal is to basically make the world and the nation better in terms of what you do and how you do it. And uh, that was very consistent with my values and goals, as opposed to saying, hey, I'm going to just put something out there and get people uh, to do it. Because as you know, a lot of uh, young people and older people went into a lot of debt uh, with the promises of how they could do online education. And Rasmussen was actually a uh, merge of online and in, we had dual modality in terms of how people could 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 um, uh, do that. And we, we sold that company to uh, the Wiley company at a very large multiple. So it was very, very successful. And we had basically put Collegius together as another arm of it to provide that technology spoke where there was uh, marketing, enrollment management, et cetera, et cetera. So we basically uh, got another company uh, that we uh, that that we established there. So uh, uh, and 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 by the way, um, I'm 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 mixing it up a little, but in any event, we sold Rasmussen, and uh, now we have Collegius. And in terms of uh, the, the, the challenges there, I think the biggest challenge that organizations have to make, and when you're an entrepreneur, and I've started a couple of companies, I can tell you, it's not easy to always do this, but what is the best thing for the long-term? Okay, and you have an entrepreneur about what the long-term is. So the long-term is yesterday. And did I have enough money in the bank to, to make payroll? And I know you know about that uh, as well, Bill. But if you, you look at uh, an organization like Collegius, first of all, look at the landscape of what's happening in colleges and universities, right? You know, all of the, um, and, and our target market, you know, it's not Harvard and Yale and Stanford, right? They have the resources and the ability to go out and have uh, smart people to do a lot of great things. However, the smaller institutions that don't have the ability to have the breadth and depth of expertise that you may need just to get started, right? So you mm -hmm. talked about, um, you know, whatever your digital strategy is, okay? Not many of these small colleges have somebody that understands digital and what's the best way and how do you buy it and when do you do it, et cetera, et cetera. So having that ability to, to do that for a certain segment of the college and university um, population is very, very important. And that's a need that uh, Collegius that we're trying to, uh, to fill. Ah, well... From your perspective, you know, how do you build uh, a board that is both high performance but sustainable governance? What's that mix look like in your experience? Have you seen it from various perspectives? I, I certainly have. And um, the first thing it comes down 
that's something I was going to answer earlier for you. You can take a great strategy and with mediocre management and or mediocre board, you're probably not going to be as successful as you could be. You can take a mediocre strategy with a great management team and a great board and you're going to be successful because what does that mean you have? That means you have agility. That means that you have uh, 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 the appropriate experience. That means that, and, and we'll just talk about diversity in its broadest sense, okay? And this is a diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of ideas. However, I do want to give special emphasis and every board I'm on, it's something that uh, yeah, I don't make it the first thing I talk about, but I certainly talk about, and that is the diversity of the team. And as we look at, Bill, what's happening in the United States, and you're probably familiar with some of these statistics, if you look at the uh, 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 Census Bureau, uh, under the age of 18, the majority of people in American latest census are what? People of color, right? So yep. we extrapolate that. 2035, 2040, 2045, kind of doesn't matter. Sometime in the next 20, 25 years. In America, anyway, the majority of people are going to be people of color. And if you think about that great philosopher, Wayne Gretzky, who says, <laughs> have to skate to where the puck is going to be. And I think that's very appropriate in this situation. And the way I explain it in the corporate boardrooms I'm in, it says, okay, if if this is where we're going, okay, and the market is definitely going to go there, who's going to innovate and make your products, okay, and where are those individuals going to come from, who's going to sell your products, and probably the most important of all, who's going to buy your products. Yeah. So if we do not have a perspective in that boardroom, that covers those three major areas, we're probably not going to be successful as we could be. And that's why diversity in terms of ethnicity and gender in the boardroom is critical. And look, this is something for all your listeners out there that kind of want to be on a board. And I've interviewed mm -hmm. a lot of boards. I've turned down a lot of boards, particularly over the last few years when there was a, your, your listeners may or may not know that I'm African-American where there was a big surge in demand uh, after George Floyd, right? Everybody wanted, and I, I've been doing public company boards for over 20 years. So this is not a new rodeo for me. However, people like to go with people that are experienced and can, you know, they feel can uh, do things because your typical corporate board, you know, you got from eight to 12 people and that's a mindset. And people like to be around people that they enjoy being around. However, yeah. the big challenge or sinkhole could be if you got a bunch of people around and you're all the same, okay? You're yeah. going to have group think. You're not going to have that diversity of thought, experience, et cetera, et cetera, that I talked about earlier. And that is so important. And the point I was making about anyone that's listening that's an aspiring board member, whether it's on the local YMCA board or local community college board, or you want to be appointed by the governor to be on the state board, or you want to be on the Harvard board, you know, understanding and having the ability to number one, have a vision and idea and having the ability to uh, communicate that in a manner that you don't make it antagonistic. 
So I'm very assertive and aggressive in my thought process. I'm very thoughtful in my communication process. And one of the things I've done, Bill, and, and my, uh, my wife, my late wife uh, taught me this, is I try to take the word but out of my vocabulary. So, Bill, let's assume mm -hmm. you and I are in a board meeting and you make okay. what you feel is a very insightful comment. And I say to the team, I agree with Bill, but. Bill, mm -hmm. I might say but, what's your mind going to start doing? What yeah, you don't agree with me at all. Yeah, you're 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 thinking of an antagonistic type thing and you're not listening, right? And I may actually have something good to share, but your mind is processing, right. anticipating as opposed to listening. If I say I agree with Bill's points and I would mm -hmm. like to add, your receptivity is going to be so much more open. And those are just that's just one little technique that I utilize in the boardroom. And I'll tell you another thing I do, particularly around the diversity issue. If there's something, obviously you get the material before the board meeting and uh, as a board member, you see some board members, they'll say, oh, slide number 54, you've misspelled V. Well, that's that that adds no value whatsoever. Okay, but it makes that individual feel good because they want to prove that they saw it and read it. So that's something that I would do offline with the appropriate staff member and they would, Thank you so much for it. And there would be an openness of connectivity and a relationship established. If there's an issue, particularly around diversity, generally speaking, a lot of the boardrooms I've been in, I've been the only African-American or maybe one of two. So there's not much of a critical mass there, right? However, <laughs> I may go beforehand and talk to the women on the board. And then if I'm going to bring up diversity, guess what the first diversity I'm going to talk about? Gender diversity. And what am I going to do? I'm going to get allies. Is it, well, in addition to gender diversity, let's talk about the ethnicity. And all of a sudden you get a, you get a, a, a conversation going where people aren't leaning back in a defensive manner. They're leaning in and you're able to talk about these issues. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. For a third straight year, the Edup Experience will be recording live at Elusion Live 2024. This year in San Antonio, Texas, April 7th through the 10th. Illuminate, innovate, and inspire. That's the framework for the conference. Leaders from institutions around the world will converge at Elusion Live 2024 to discover game-changing technology, share industry insights, and build powerful connections. It's time to explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. You can register now at elive.elucian.com. Epic. Oh, yeah. You've heard me talk about the Insights EDU Conference. Well, let me tell you three reasons why I think everyone listening should join us in Phoenix, Arizona on February 20 through 22nd for Insights EDU. One, it's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. Two, you can expect a mix of speakers you won't hear anywhere else, including higher ed leaders from Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and more. And reason three, Insights EDU has an agenda packed with sessions discussing the latest trends in higher ed leadership, marketing, and enrollment management. 
Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, that's really insightful. I mean, having sat on a number of boards, one of the things I noticed is that institutions of higher education sometimes aren't as savvy as they might be in putting their boards together, uh, either by diversity or, or the, a mix of, um, of abilities of their, of their staff. I mean, when I've looked at, at boards that have uh, not been successful, and I, if you look at for-profit education, you can name them, but I won't. Um, one of the things is that there wasn't a good mix. Sometimes there was too much business and not enough education. And people didn't understand that um, running uh, an institution of higher education isn't the same thing as running a, a TV cable company and that you need a, you know, a different perspective there. I get calls and I'm, I'm going to go ahead. Now, I was going to say, Bill, that's why it's so important that the uh, NOM and governance and starting even with the CEO and definitely chairman of the board, you got to do your board matrix. Okay. And yes. on that board matrix, in terms of thinking uh, on the top uh, X axis, thinking of, you know, what are the critical skills that you need from finance to marketing to technology to cyber? And there's a diversity box up there too for both ethnicity and gender. And then you down the Y axis, you're going to put, you know, these are the names of the people and then look at your boxes that are, that are important for you going forward. And if you look around yeah. there, you've got some boxes that are blank. Okay. With the mm -hmm. skill sets that you have determined that are important for you. That is a foolproof way of saying that you should review the uh, composition of your board. Yep, excellent points. You know, one of the, one of the things uh, that occurs to me is I, I am uh, contacted frequently by uh, venture capitalists and people who want to invest in education or who want to do startups. Um, and it's interesting that when I when they say, "Well, is higher education a good investment right now?" Um, I always say no, um, because if you're a venture capitalist and you're looking for a quick turnaround, higher education is not the place to go. You're not going to make a lot of money quickly, and the people who th thought that they would have already been proven um, wrong in, in many cases. So do you um, interact with investors and, and venture capitalists in some of your ventures? To some degree, and and let me even go back a little bit and explain what I do slash did at JLL. So as you know, I was in the military, taught at West Point, uh, joined JLL, developer, asset manager, and I saw an opportunity. A friend of mine who also graduated from West Point was on the board of the Maryland education system, and I was talking to him, and he said, you know, Collins University, I got to tell you, they just don't manage their resources very well, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, I put a business plan together that looked at uh, federal, state, and local governments, colleges and universities, and not-for-profit organizations. And one of the uh, commonalities amongst those types of entities is they, they have, have what? They have program objectives. And certainly they need to be physically sound, but it's a program objective. 
And as I put my team together at JLL, it wasn't the same team that I would take to IBM and Goldman Sachs, right? Because they just want, I got to be bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. Here we've yeah. got to put a trade-off with bottom line and making sure that the program objectives are being, being met. So I, uh, federal government side, did a lot of work with the GSA, did a lot of work privatizing Army housing, billions of dollars worth. And then on the education market, where I had a very, very uh, uh, keen interest uh, and looking at places, the way I explained it, Bill, I was looking for places to make universities a great place for people to live, work, play, and learn. And with that, some of the biggest projects I worked on initially was what we call gateway projects. So I did one, if you've been on the campus of University of Pennsylvania, their books are in hotel. Ohio State uh -huh. bookstore and retail area, Georgia Tech, uh, Technology Square, hotel, meeting space, uh, classroom space, conference center, et cetera, et cetera. And working on and worked on several uh, student housing projects, right? Because organizations such as universities have to see what are the things that they can monetize. It's hard to monetize yeah. the chemistry building because there's no direct revenue going with that. However, as you know, the food services and housing and the retail, a different story. Where there can be a cash flow, we can get investors interested in it. And it generally results in a ground lease that the university may have been underutilizing to start with. So you say, we can not only help you with your programmatic objective, i.e. you needed new housing, you need a new student center, we can also help you economically. And I was on the board of, uh, of American campus communities. And many of your audience mm -hmm. members will know they're the largest student housing REIT in the United States. And I was on that board until actually last year. And you talk about investors, that's my reason for saying this. Uh, Blackstone bought the company for over $10, okay? Wow. They had bought mm -hmm. one platform. So what they see, and Blackstone's a pretty good, uh, pretty good group, what they see long-term, even though we know, you know, the statistics were going to go down a little, we've had that big, big push. However, at the major universities, both state and private, they will continue to be winners. And as you know, on the left edge of that curve, where a lot of the smaller mm -hmm. liberal arts colleges that just don't mm -hmm. have the economy of scale to make it, they're going to continue to consolidate. I'm not going to, I'm not going to use the word fail. I'm going to say consolidate. And as a result of that, I think there will continue to be uh, opportunities. My team at JLL, I'm uh, uh, just finished up uh, running all the facilities, for example, at Tennessee State University. And I'm making a big focus on uh, HBCUs, just help uh, Morehouse look at housing uh, situation. Working right now with Charles Drew Universities out in LA, on housing situations. Uh, have worked with um, um, uh, Atlanta, Clark Atlanta University, have worked with Tougaloo mm -hmm. College. So, so, and not to mention the Harvards and the Yales, the Stanfords and the Penns and the Drexels, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of opportunities because higher education, you know, as well as I do, the issue has been what? Costs have gone up just exponentially. Yeah. And the boards and governing bodies, I don't want to say they haven't done a good job, however, the opportunity has been just to do what? Raise tuition, raise tuition, raise sure. tuition. And as a result of that, 
even your state universities, I don't call them public universities. They're state supported universities. Because as you know, yep. they're getting sometimes less than 20, 30% of their direct fees from the state. Now they're getting grants and other things from federal government. It might be up to 40 to 50%. But the rest of that revenue, it is a business. And the CEOs yep. and presidents are going to have to run it in such a way that they balance it. And as you know, the, the, the health centers generally are a drain if they're not run appropriately. <laughs> Yet they are very strategic to the community because universities are what I call anchor institutions, particularly with a yeah. lot of the gateway development we do where you've got this nexus between the university and the campus. Well, generally, and I'll use University of Pennsylvania as a perfect example, worked on that over 20 years ago, poor minority neighborhood. They think the university is very rich. The university is you know, maybe just focus on, hey, what do we need? What do we need? And what we help them do is say, you got to step back and say, what does the community need? And you've got to yeah. be that impetus, okay, to start a development or redevelopment process. And you might have to put a little money up at risk, but your overall goal is to do what? Make all boats rise. Yeah. Well, I've got one more very specific question for you here before we uh, wrap this up. I see that you're going to speak at the uh, African-American Student Union at the uh, Harvard Business School to some of our future leaders. What are you going to tell them? What advice you got for them? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell them, um, and, and the subject is going to be on corporate governance, so it'll start just like you and I uh, started this conversation today. Uh, I'm going to tell them, uh, starting out, that, um, and these these kids are are phenomenally uh, uh, motivated and qualified. However, I'm still going to tell them that uh, nothing is guaranteed for them. Okay, that they are starting over, and it reminds me of my plebe year at West Point, coming out of high school. All these young men and women are big people on campus, and you go there, we shake <laughs> everything from you, and you've got to prove it again. So I'm going to tell them, don't rest on your laurels. I'm going to tell them, don't start with, I'm a Harvard MBA, because that's what people expect you to start with. I want you to start with good sound analytics. And I'm going to tell them, and we haven't talked about it much here, Bill, but one of the, I have six things I talk about, and I'll do this real quickly, that are critical to success, whether you're in education, business, an astronaut, or a zoologist. And I'm going to talk about them real quickly. Interpersonal skills, and that's about being a continuous learner and having the ability to relate to people. Analytical skills, right? We, This is bigger than this, both on a qualitative and quantitative basis. Uh, we've got to talk about your communication skills, three components of that. Writing, speaking, and the one that I have to work on myself, listening. Very important communication. The next one is leadership, and it's probably the most important one. And leadership, in my simple definition, is the ability to lead a group to accomplish a common goal. And there are all types of leaders and there are all ways to lead. That's important. The fifth one I talk about, I'm going to tell them about, is entrepreneurship. And that's really about risk-taking. Bill, I jumped out of uh, airplanes, but you don't jump out of airplanes without a parachute. And when <laughs> I did it, you even don't jump out without a reserve parachute. So there's <laughs> one thing to take a risk and be an entrepreneur but you still got to look at mitigating factors. And the last thing that's going to be critical is to have passion for what you do. 
Well, well, I hope they're going to listen to that message, Herman. That's uh, that's very powerful, and I think that that perspective will go a long way towards uh, helping them uh, helping them succeed. Well, I want to thank uh, thank you, Herman. We've been talking with Herman Bulls, who's the vice chairman and America's international director at JLL, and uh, very experienced board member and expert in governance. And uh, thank you very much, Herman. Thank you, Bill. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, you've just adopt. Attention. It's time to register for Elucian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elucian.com. This conference is going to be epic. Hey there, higher ed leaders. Are you thinking about joining the EdUp Experience podcast at Insights EDU on February 20th through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona? 100%. I thought so. This is the go-to event for higher education marketing and enrollment management. At Insights EDU, you'll gain cutting-edge insights from industry experts, including speakers from companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, Salesforce, and more. Become the transformational leader your campus needs by participating in discussions on important topics like online student demands and preferences, increasing affordability and accessibility, branding, measuring marketing performance, and much more. Insights EDU is the conference you need to attend in 2024. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration.